Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture today is from Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, located on pages 950-951 in your pew Bible. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, for the four weeks of October, we're giving attention to our commitments to our church. Uh, We usually call this stewardship season because part of our uh, focus and uh, our emphasis is pledging next year's budget. But our stewardship, of course, extends far beyond our checkbooks. We have built our church around four pillars the foundations of our work together, discipleship, missions, community, and worship. And today, we're stewards of all of it, but this month, we're talking about how our financial stewardship empowers the church vibrancy around all of these different areas, right? So, because we pledge and give faithfully to our church, We can meet our discipleship needs, vacation Bible school, Sunday school literature, all of that. Because we give, we can maintain the organ and engage the orchestra and create this kind of setting for corporate worship, one of our pillars. Because we all do our share, all do our share, we can support the missionaries and send our team to Miami and care for the children at Garden Hills and all the other ways we do mission together as a church. And our giving supports our efforts to form us all into a deeper community, friendship and outreach and care. So I'm getting the commercial out of the way first. If your family has not yet had the conversation, do so this afternoon. What are you going to give and pledge to be part of what God is doing here, to support this place we love so much. So, last week, uh, our focus was on discipleship, 
four weeks of October. We're giving a focus to each of these four pillars. Discipleship last week, today is worship. So let me give the backdrop to the scripture that was just read so well a few minutes ago. And the backdrop is a pretty obvious uh, observation that the Apostle Paul was a pretty effective evangelist and church starter. The early church exploded as he went around preaching through Asia Minor uh, and also starting little house churches before he would move on to the next city and stop in his missionary journey. Lives were changed, and these little house churches formed. And the first gatherings of community started because these Gentile Christians wanted to know more about this Jesus who had come and so radically changed their lives. These little house gatherings, these new communities, would sing and pray and share stories. They were in always church, but they had a few limitations. They had no Bible. That makes it tough. They have no Sunday school quarterly. Nobody had grown up in church. Nobody's mama had told them stories about Jesus. Nobody in the church had any theological training. They had no pastor. So how would they learn more and more about this Jesus who had captured them with his love and transformed their life? So Paul and other mature Christians, well-written lay leaders, would write letters to describe and inform this new Christian life. They were our earliest Christian theologians, and they would write plainly about the nature of God in Christ or how the followers of the way, that's what they called themselves, how the followers of the way would behave. How do Christians treat each other? How do Christians respond to their Jewish heritage? How do Christians respond to the pagan influences and community around? Somebody had to instruct. They had no inherited theology. So what do we believe about life after death, the nature of the Holy Spirit, evil in the world? How is somebody saved? Is it earned? Is it good works? Is it just a gift? If it is a gift, who gets the gift? Who doesn't get the gift? Where do you go? You couldn't Google it. Where do you go? So these early Christians would write letters that helped inform the theology of the church. Now, some of the letters were written to specific churches around specific issues, dealing primarily with issues of that congregation and that time. For instance, the letters written to the church at Corinth were written because that group was having a fight, a big fight. And one of my favorite lines in all the scriptures, Paul says, am I going to have to come to you with a stick? I just love that. Specific church, specific issues. But some of the letters of the New Testament are circular letters, general topics to educate this new Christian community. They were circulated, circular. They passed from one house church, one congregation to another to answer these questions about doctrine and practice that we were just talking about. And so our passage today is a prayer that just explodes right in the middle of one of these circular letters. 
It's, it's full of praise and worship and prayer. And the author petitions his hopes for these new Christ followers. And his prayer, his hope for what happens within the lives of these new believers also captures our hope for what happens when we gather in worship. The felt and believed experience of God, the awe and grandeur of God's expansive love that gets rooted in us, it's the hope of our gathered worship. So what should our experience be when we come together like this to worship together? I was once leading a college retreat uh, around worship, and I asked a similar question to college students. What, What is the nature of worship? How do you know when you've worshiped well? And this cute little Perky co-ed raised her hand and said, I just praise and praise and praise and praise until I get the Jesus jitters, and that's how I know. (laughs) And it was sweet, and it was sincere. But as we say in the South, bless her heart. (laughs) Paul's prayer mentions three hopes for what happens if we worship well. And one, of, one or more of these should be your experience anytime we come together. The first, he said, that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. Our inner being is the life that inner life of the Spirit that we just leave neglected so much. I mean, we sow and reap and take the kids to ball practice and go to Kroger, forget the baking powder and have to go back. Some spend all morning at the doctor's office hoping you're finished in time to make the next doctor's appointment. Uh, We get our tires tires rotated, we fill out the forms, we check email again. Checking email is like raking leaves this time of year. You thought you were finished, you're not, they're back. My point is that we usually stay so overwhelmed by what's coming at us, by what's bombarding from the outside, that we don't take adequate care tending to the insides that you may be strengthened in your inner being. In here, in worship, we sit and listen to Verlene play the organ, and Joy play the piano, and the orchestra, and we breathe. And we open up our inner being and tend and care and strengthen the life of what's going on inside. And the music, it happened for you already, didn't it? It reaches in there and cleanses something. And in the stillness of it, we give audit. Am I living God's values and God's hope? Am I living too fast to be a person of grace to anybody else? Is my faith in alignment with my calendar and my checkbook?
Where am I afraid and why? And somewhere in the stillness and the prayer and the worship, our inner being grows muscles and our character forms and fortifies. Number two, Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. The Grinch's heart was a size and a half too small. But worship that invites Christ dwelling expands our hearts. If worship teaches you to exclude and dislike rather than expanding your capacity to love, then you're doing it wrong. Because as we pray and meditate on Christ and His love and His sacrifice and His values and His stories, Jesus takes up residence. The ethic and love of Christ starts to dwell in us. Now this is an aside, but but I I love this. This prayer uh, is so passionate that, uh, that, that Paul just mixes metaphors, gets his grammar and syntax thrown out of joint, doesn't try to fix it, doesn't seem to care. Because right here in one sentence, he goes from the image of Jesus taking up residence to a tree being planted. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. If we worship well, we leave more rooted, more grounded in Christ's claim on us and in the assurance of God's love for us. The third one, well before I tell you the third one, I'm going to tell you an embarrassing personal story. When I was a kid, about 12 or so, I I went through kind of a weird phase. I don't want any of you to say anything smart about whether or not I have grown out of my kind of weird phase. But I know this, I know part of what was going on was developmental. My mind's growing. I'm learning to exercise it. All right, here's the confession. This is a dated reference, but I had a black light and a black light poster in my bedroom. Is anybody else willing to confess? Anybody else my age? Really? All right. There was a lamp in my bedroom. It was made out of a falcon's helmet. It had a black light in it. And on the wall next to the lamp was a black light poster of a skeleton riding a chopper. (laughs) He wore a helmet for safety. I don't know why a skeleton wears a helmet for safety. But I would turn off the lights, stare at my poster of the skeleton with the helmet on, lie in the bed, and look at my groovy poster. And I just think, just think. Of course, my parents were concerned. They'd come knock. Doc, you okay? I'm, I'm fine. A little while later, Doc, you know you can talk to us. If there's anything going on, you, you can talk. I, I was fine. I was just weird. But I remember sitting there thinking about infinity and space. What's bigger than the galaxy? 
Is there an end to space? I mean, don't you have to get to a wall eventually? How did, and I'm just trying to explore all of that. About time and eternity. Eternity has no end. I can't calculate no end. I'd lie in bed and just see how far out my mind could go to get there. And uh, eternity, a billion years? Yeah, but it could be a billion plus one. I can't, and I just expand my mind trying to think about what I couldn't capture. I might or might not have outgrown my weird phase, but I don't lie in bed anymore and contemplate eternity. Except that Paul calls us to a similar exercise in worship. How big is Christ's love? How wide is it? How tall is it? Here's the third prayer for the worshiping Christian. That you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you feel the majesty of that? Do this for a minute. Try to do what I was doing in my bedroom. Try to use the best and the strongest part of your intellect to think about the depth and quality of God's love for you. How far out can you reach in imagining Christ's love more than any you have ever known and you get to that edge of eternity You think you know, and then we read again, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. It's bigger still. Something of worship should awe us. Something about the size of God's goodness, creativity, inclusion, love should just knock us to the floor. Do you remember Isaiah's vision of the encounter of God in the temple? He said he saw just the hem of God's garment, and just the hem of it filled everything in the temple. It's a way of saying that God's majesty is so expansive that the best of our holy imagination can only capture a little corner of the robe that God wears. I know, I know that some some people say they can worship better in the deer stand. I know that for some people, church for them is a popular preacher on a broadcast while they commute from Alpharetta into town. But for me, I want to be in here with you. When you and I read the confessions together and your verbal I am a sinner meets my verbal I am a sinner somewhere in the air, magic happens in this place. When the instruments fill this room, our souls expand and light gets in. 
When we stand together and sing immortal, invisible, God-only wise like we did earlier in this service, our voices meet in the middle, float up together to the rafters as sources of prayer. And when we hear the scriptures read, centuries of God's truth land on us and disturb us, convict us, or comfort us. And when somebody enters that pool behind me, white robe, water, and the whole room holds its breath, and another one of God's children goes under, and I proclaim, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we leave and we are more rooted and grounded in God's love than we were an hour ago. I can't do that on my iPhone. At the center of our life together is the worship of the one who holds us together in this room when we worship. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly more, far more than we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.